0: Lord, what a privilege it is to gather as your people on this glorious day. As troubled as our culture is, we know in your kingdom you shine as light into our hearts. And we pray that would be exactly what would happen this day as we gather as your people through the power of your word. And that, Lord, we would walk away from here uh, changed. And that we would follow you with wholehearted devotion, recognizing how loved we are by our Lord Jesus Christ. Think our thoughts now, may my words be yours, and take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome friends. Here at Christ Church, we're launching into a series on discipleship called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. With this winter focusing on being with the Lord, slowing down, being contemplative with the Lord, developing a prayer life using the daily office. And so we'll be doing that, focusing on loving the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. Because as we have seen in Western culture, one can be filled with all kinds of head knowledge and yet never be transformed Uh, that quite frankly, they may be full of so much head knowledge, they're unenjoyable to be around. And And quite frankly, the Western church is no different than the culture around them. And so therefore, we're launching into this series on Emotionally Healthy Discipleship this winter, focusing on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Because what we're going to discover through our readings and our small groups and all the various groups we're doing this with is that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. For it's not possible to be spiritually mature unless you're emotionally mature. And so that's what we're going to launch into this winter throughout our groups and the degree to which we're willing to give Jesus access to all our lives. Think of your life as an iceberg. Now iceberg, you know, about 10% of it is above water. 90% 90% is below. And so we're asking the Lord as a community to allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to penetrate below the water level of our lives. To give him that access. and the degree to which we will do that, we're going to experience freedom in Jesus Christ. And the best story in all the Bible to begin this with is found in 1 Samuel 15. I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles the passage Sybil just read for us. 1 Samuel Uh, 15 is the story of Israel's first king Saul, and we're going to ask these questions, because you'll notice in your Bibles, it's Saul's failure, and God rejects Saul. What did Saul do, why did he fail, and how can we avoid that, all right? What did Saul do, why did he fail, and how can we avoid falling in the same way? Let's give you some background. What did, what did Saul do? Setting the stage, uh, Saul is the first king of Israel. He's been given a command by the Lord that we see in verse 13. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And then Samuel said, What then is this bleeding in my sheep? The sheep that I hear. Alright, you should go down to verse 18. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they are consumed. You know, you hear that in 21st century sensibilities, and we we think, You're kidding me, right? What is this? The Taliban? The Lord wants us to be like this? You're kidding me. God is telling to wipe out a whole group of people. Let's not read this superficially. All right? First, let's read it within the context of the whole Bible. All right? And let's look at who these people are. If you read Amos chapters 1 and 2, you will find out who these Amalekites were. They were violent people who committed genocide, atrocities, And were professional marauders. You know, if you you want to know a little bit about that, just go and read Amos 1 and 2. They constantly waged war. In other words, as you've heard me say often about these ancient people who surrounded ancient Israel, they were neighbors that you wouldn't put up with. All right. So the question then becomes, how do you keep people like them... Continuing to destroy other people. Well, in the words of my Army officer and CIA operative father, son, the only thing these kinds of people understand is the other end of my rifle. The answer is with force. And so, when God says to Saul and to Israel, I want you to go and attack them with force, of course. However, I will not let you use force on them the way they use force on the other nations. You, Saul, are not to build an empire. My people are called to be a blessing to the world. And so, we won't build the Israel empire. You will be my instrument of justice upon them. Because when the Amalekites went in and all those other cultures, they'd go in and they would take the cattle, take the timber, take the people as slaves and use them for slave labor. And God doesn't want them to think of his people as building an empire or any nation around them. Therefore, Saul, you are not going to profit from this military venture one bit. And it's pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Because every nation, when they go to war, they go to war for truth and justice. But often, they use that opportunity to enrich themselves. And God knows that about our nature. And therefore, he says to Saul, this is going to be an act of judgment. But what does Saul do? Takes Agag as a prisoner. Brings all the cattle and the sheep back. And so in verse 9, we actually hear him say, um, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. All right. They took everything that was value. Valuable, So basically, Saul was adopting the ways of the world in his life. He was adopting an imperialistic mindset. The violent ways of the nations around him. And as a result, he's completely failed to be the king God has called him to. The king is to administer the covenant of God among God's covenant people. And to obey the Lord. So that's what is Saul did to fail now a greater question is why he failed that's the second point because this is more than merely an interesting reflection on how we could apply this to U.S. foreign policy the purpose of this text is always to get you to think about yourself it always is so the question is what brought Saul to this point well, if you read the chapters before, you'll find Saul initially was a modest and humble man. You know, in fact, in 1 Samuel 10, Samuel gets all the people because he's going to gather all the people and anoint Saul. And Saul is scared to death. The only really thing about him is that he's really good looking and he's taller than everybody else. You know, he looks like a king. And so He's modest. And they have to go to the luggage and pull this gangly kid out and anoint him king. How does he go from that to this? How'd that happen? The answer is in our infinite capacity of the human heart to self deceive ourselves, it's self deception. And you see it in many ways. In verse nine, nineteen, 19 rather, Samuel basically says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Why didn't you listen to the very voice of God who told you? In verse 20, what does Saul say to that? But I did obey the voice of the Lord. I have gone on a mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. And Samuel says, no, you didn't. You didn't listen. You listened, but you didn't listen. You really didn't take it. Now, every parent of a teenager knows what I'm speaking about here. All right? Because self-deception is our ability to know something at one level and to keep ourselves from knowing it at another level. Self-deception is not the worst thing that we do, but it causes a lot of the worst things that we do. When I was in college at George Mason in 1982, there was a tremendous snowstorm in Washington and I was waiting in the car for my father. to. He left work early and I waited in the car during the snowstorm for two hours at the bus stop waiting for him to get there. Listening to the radio. And all of a sudden from the radio came a report that Flight 90 out of National Airport landed on the 14th Street Bridge and crashed into the Potomac killing hundreds of people. It was awful. Why? Self deception on the part of the pilot. You listen to the voice recording of the pilot, and he was saying, Oh, yeah, these government bureaucrats, they don't know what they're doing. We don't have to de ice the plane. It's really not a big problem at all. At all. And after 49 minutes of sitting on the tarmac, the co-pilot said, you know, I got some readings here. This is not really good. And the pilot said, I know what I'm doing. These bureaucrats don't know a thing. I'm the pilot. I'm good. I can do this. And his overconfidence and his self-deception was the cause of many people dying, including himself. It's not the worst thing that we do, but it's the cause, it's the reason why we do horrible things. Like parents who have difficulty recognizing their children's flaws. We can all see it! And yet they're blind by it. And they read parenting article after parenting article, and it's very difficult for the parents to look at their children and admit, what's wrong? So we defend them. We defend them to their teachers at school or to other parents. Yet we know, but we... Don't know that there's something wrong, and often it's too late, and we ruin our kids. Of course, parents want to think the best about their kids, but self deception isn't the worst thing that we do, but it's the reason that we do horrible things. And we can ruin our child's life, and we can kill a lot of people if we're a pilot. You take this to the extreme, in Germany, in World War II, there were... Villages and cities near many of the death camps in Europe, outside of the town of Ordorf, Germany, General Patton came to the gate of the death camp and honestly said, I can't go in. I think I'm going to throw up. General Patton said that. As hardened man as he was, he couldn't go in. Eisenhower went to the mayor of that town and said, you knew what was going on there. And they said, no, we didn't know. But later they confessed, we didn't know, but we knew. See, one of the main messages of the Bible in Romans 1 is that we take the truth and we suppress it. It's like Jack Nicholson said to Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth, right? So what's going on here? Self deception. And we see this being worked out in our lives in a variety of ways. And Pete Schizzero, in chapter one of our reading for this week, talks about 10 ways in which we self deceive ourselves. We use God to run from God, we ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, we die to the wrong things, such as beauty and laughter and finances. All right, get into self-protective, defensive, judgmental behavior. We deny the past's impact of our lives on the present. We divide our lives into secular and spiritual compartments. We do for God instead of being with God. We spiritualize away conflict instead of like our Lord disrupting false peace. We cover over brokenness, weakness, and failure. We live without limits, and we judge the spiritual journeys of others. You know, I don't have time to really dig into those. That's why we're going to be in groups throughout this week. So I encourage you, if you're not in such a group, the list is in the back of the bulletin. Reach out to those friends, order the books, and let's walk together. And the reality is, we see in verse 13, Saul is deceived. Blessed be to you, the Lord God, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And what does Saul respond? What is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul answered, they brought them. (laughs) You know, those soldiers, they're the ones who brought them. You know. They, they, you know, I did everything God told me, but they brought the stuff. You know, who's king here? They shouldn't have brought him, but here they are. He's self-deceived, and he, the the third point that Pete hes blame-shifting. He's he's ign- ignoring what's going on here, and he's using God to run from God. He goes, and then he turns to look how religious that I'm being. You know, I brought them for sacrifices. We can bring, we 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 can sacrifice them. And that's using God to run from God. Like Elizabeth Elliot's little brother, Tommy, (laughs) who would bring paper bags out from under the kitchen on the, and lay on the kitchen floor and make paper airplanes and play with these things. And it was okay for him to do so. But when it's over, he had to put them back. He had put all these paper bags back. And one day, he remembered, I got piano, I need to practice. And he left it there a mess and went and started practicing the piano. His dad, you know, walked in and said, Tommy, you left the kitchen a mess. What are you doing? He says, Daddy, but I'm singing for Jesus. He said, Tommy, it's no good to sing songs for Jesus when you're being disobedient. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's important for us to get this down. And what he's saying, Tommy is saying, and what Saul is saying, I'm being religious. I'm doing all the stuff. I'm being confirmed. I'm taking first communion class. I'm, I come to church. I'm in a small group, whatever it might be. No, my friend, what God really wants from us is all of us. He doesn't want your sheep and goats. He wants all of you, every part of your life. Religiosity is always a part of self-deception, and it's really, really sad when when Saul realizes that Sam's not being fooled. For look what he says in verse twenty-four. He says, "I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice." Now, when David Sims sins later in 2nd Samuel and he actually does something worse than Saul here and David says I have sinned God forgives him but God doesn't forgive Saul why I have sinned I have violated the command I'm afraid of men I'm repenting don't you see I'm repenting this isn't repentance brothers and sisters. It's actually self-pity. He's not sorry for the sin. He's sorry for the consequences that he got caught. You know, and he's sorry because of the bad things that are now coming into his life. If he took all those consequences away, Samuel knows he'd go right back to doing what he was doing, building the Jewish empire. He's saying, why in the world aren't you coming back and forgiving me, Samuel? Samuel? And Samuel continues and says, I'm not walking back with you. It's done. It's over. You disobeyed the Lord. You're not repenting. What do you mean I'm not repenting? That's self-deception. And Saul, the minute these consequences go away, you're going to go right back to what you're doing. Living your life among the Lord your way, not his way. He wants all of us. And Saul was not willing to. To give all of himself to the Lord. So three, how can we escape this? That's crucial. How, we will better figure out what that is. And so if you go back up to verse 12, it gives us a key here. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Then the heart of this issue is down in verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Saul You were small in your own eyes, and now you're big in your own eyes. you were a nobody, and God made you king. God made you big. But now you're creating monuments for yourself. Here's what we have. What is it? That self-deception has turned into a self-image that he has to live into unto himself, not unto the Lord. Like the pilot who was too proud to admit that the planes needed de-icing. Like the parents who are too too proud, even though their kid's a great athlete, a great student, National Honor Society, whatever they might be. In every case, the reason why they're in denial is because their self-image Is based on something. And whatever that something is based on. They see it as a monument to themselves. However they're making themselves big in their own eyes. I'm raising a great kid. I'm a great pilot. I'm a manly man. Whatever your self image is based upon. You'll have to be in denial. In order to filter out. And suppress any information. That jeopardizes that image. I need to believe this, that I'm like this, and I need to believe this about myself, and that's how I feel good about myself, and I need to believe it. And any information that comes that doesn't agree with that, you throw it away. And as long as you're trying to become big in your own eyes, as long as you have anything you're basing your self-image on in order to feel big in your own eyes, a monument, we're going to have problems. Certainly, that's the way religiosity is one of the main ways self deception happens. I need to believe I'm a good person. I'm good before God. It's my own self righteousness. I'm a good, decent, mature Christian. And in comes information that shows you're not, you reject it. You know it, but you don't know it. And that's exactly what Saul has done. So, what's our solution? Verse 17, though you you are little in your own eyes, are you not head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, you were appointed, Saul, through the sheer grace of God. You weren't better. You weren't smarter. You weren't more virtuous. You weren't wiser. You were tall and good looking, but that was about it. You know? You looked the, the part, but God actually swooped in and made you king. And you're rejecting the grace that God has offered to you, rejecting it outright. Basically, you're building a self image without the grace of God. Saul. And you're trying to make yourself big in your own eyes. And that's the reason why everything is going wrong. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the left, to Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. Because Saul forgot this. And it wasn't Samuel's fault. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and says, It was not because you were more number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. And chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you hear that? It's a completely circular argument. Why did he love you? Because He loved you. Think of it this way: Men, if your wife comes to you and says, "Honey." Why do you love me? Do you say, sweetheart, I love you because you got one awesome smoking hot figure? Do you say, I love you because you, you, your income level is great. We really are building a nice retirement, you know? Do you say, man, you're an awesome cook. You, you, you stay physically fit and we get to exercise together. We get to go on all kinds of fun adventures together. Do you, do you say that? You add zest to my life. Well, at first, she might feel good for a second. But then she'll begin to say, wait a minute. What if I gain weight? What if I lose my job? What if I get tired of my career? What if I I get injured? Wait a minute. She's going to realize you don't love her. You love her because of the benefits that she brings into your life. So... The only way to answer the question like that, that will satisfy the deepest need of her heart is to say, sweetheart, I love you because I love you. I love you. It's unconditional. And you see, we can love one another in this way too. The only love that is truly unconditional that gives you this kind of love on the basis of self-image that leads you to become more honest about yourself instead of more deceived about yourself is the unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was big and he became small for us. He was the one who came and reminds us not to get involved in that self-deception, reminds us that we don't have a principle to live by we have a person to live unto he became small so that we can become great that we're sinners in need of grace and he gives it to us he lost everything he doesn't take people prisoner he liberates them he saves us he gives us life and he did that for each and every one of us as we say unto him, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done. And you have unconditional love for me. And it's that's my identity. That's my self-image. And I can live under that. And therefore, we can use the gospel among one another. This is good news. Hebrews 3.13 says to exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful and the only way you're going to get through it is you have a community of brothers and sisters inside the church who have given you've given license to speak into your life and they can come and exhort you. And so in our blindness and our self-deceiving ways there's nothing more liberating quite frankly than being so loved that you can finally admit that you're flawed. <laughs> I'm flawed. And this gospel message is liberation. And so as we go about this journey over the next 8 and 16 weeks of loving the Lord and loving our neighbor, we can take off the masks that are no good anyway. So we can let the Lord see us as we are and we can see one another as we are. And come alongside one another and know the true freedom that is found in knowing I'm a desperate sinner. And as I am... God loves me anyway, and he loves you anyway. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would free us from the self-deceiving ways that we've seen in not only Saul, but in the list that we'll study this week. And we have, because to a great degree, we don't ground ourselves in your unconditional love, and we forget constantly what Jesus did for us. Jesus doesn't take life, he gives us life. He doesn't enslave us, he liberates us. And though he was great, he became small so that we, believing in Jesus, could know that we are great in your eyes. Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, in that self-image, we would have clarity. And we'd have reality and have an honesty with one another that we could not get any other way. So please, Lord, as we think about these things throughout this quarter and semester, show us how to apply this in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.